from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome. And he went to see them, and because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade. And he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word, testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, the ruler of the synagogue, believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians, hearing Paul, believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you, and no one will attack you to harm you. For I have many in this city who are my people. And he stayed a year and six months teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. And he drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. This is God's word. Good morning. Uh, just one quick reminder before <clears throat> before we dive in. Um, for some, I'm sure some of you weren't here for for the first part of service. Just a reminder that next week uh, we 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 begin again our 7:45 a.m. service, that earlier service before this one. Um, and the reason we're doing that is that uh, we're we're coming in close to our students returning to to the body, which is great. We're excited to welcome all the students back to Manhattan and back to Faith. But that will also swell our our attendance, our the, in both this service and the next. And so we add that third service to make sure. That we got enough space to make sure that people have the right environment that they want for, for worship. And so if you're coming to this one, but you think, I am an early bird person, I am someone who, who might enjoy a smaller service or an earlier service, we'd love for you to join us at 745. We're not going to demand anyone move, but we'd love to see some of you there. So just, just a reminder. Um, so yeah, Acts 18, we're continuing our, our series in the book of Acts. We've been in, in Acts for some time all summer here. And Acts 18 uh, repeats what has now become a very familiar pattern. If you've read the book of Acts before, or if you've been with us, we've seen Paul do this over and over. He, he arrives in a new city, he establishes his ministry team, and he teaches in the synagogue because his chief hope in every city is to go to the Jews and, and to teach them who Jesus is and that he's the Messiah and help them understand that the Messiah they're waiting for has come. And then later, often after being rejected by, by, by the Jews of the synagogues, he moves on to sharing the same gospel message with, with any Gentile audience who will listen. And Paul's persistence in this pattern and his dedication to his calling, it, it, it's inspired Christians for, for thousands of years. We marvel at Paul's endurance 
in, in this ministry. We are humbled by his devotion to sharing the gospel. We often think of Paul as, as, as this very picture of Christian excellence. Here is someone who gave every bit of himself. Everything he had was given to Jesus. His mind, his body, his life, his work, everything that he was and everything he did was about this calling that Jesus had given him. Many who love talking with others about Jesus, who feel called to missions, or, or who just can't get enough theology or enough Bible study, they look at Paul, and, and in Paul they see someone who, who is a kindred spirit and a mentor. And he is indeed a fantastic example of all of these things. But this morning, as we look at Acts chapter 18, verses 1 through 17, we're also given a chance to see a very different side of Paul. Because in this passage, we find Paul tired and weary and breaking down and very close to burning out. Today, Paul's story will connect with anyone who has ever experienced a crisis in their confidence when it comes to what they think Jesus wants them to do, who they think Jesus wants them to talk to. Today is for all those who struggle with fear in the midst of their faith. For those who have tried and tried again to be the person they think Jesus wants them to be, but, but in doing so, they have felt knocked down so many times that they're not sure they really want to get up and try again. Today is for those who need to hear, just as the Apostle Paul needed to hear, the promise that Jesus is with you and that he has a purpose for you. Jesus is with you and he has a purpose for you. Holding tightly as we can to these truths, just like Paul, we too will see how we can move forward in our faith even when things are hard. Now, as we read earlier, or as Lindsay read earlier, Paul arrives in the city of Corinth, and he immediately makes some new friends named Priscilla and Aquila. This is a married couple that had been driven out of Rome after an, the edict of Emperor Claudius, saying that all Jews had to leave Rome, and this, this extended as well probably to Jewish Christians. There was probably some tension and some fighting in those groups, and so Claudius just said, you know what, we're done, and he sent them all out and, and scattered them over the empire. So Paul partners up with Aquila and Priscilla in their tent-making business, as well as continuing to visit the local synagogues and trying to persuade the Jews and, and God-fearing Greeks about who Jesus is and what his gospel message means. Later on, Paul's fellow mission, uh, missionary partners and ministry partners, Silas and Timothy, arrive. And when they arrive, they likely bring funds from some of the past churches that, that Paul has planted, which allows him to turn his attention, turn his full devotion onto this practice of ministry and, and, and be, be in the synagogues preaching full time. And that's where we see Paul kind of go his, full, his classic full-on evangelism and where we see the troubles for him start in this passage. In verse 5, it says, When Silas and Timothy came to Macedonia, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching testify and testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. But when they opposed Paul and became abusive, he shook, off, shook out his clothes and protested, and he said to them, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent of it. For now on, I will go to the Gentiles." Now, this is not the first time we've ever seen Paul stop his preaching to the Jews in favor of switching his, his, his attention to a Gentile audience. Back in Acts 13, we actually get a, a, a similar scene to what we see here in chapter 18. Paul is preaching to a hostile crowd. He's preaching to a group of Jews who there are, are also said to be heaping abuse upon Paul. But what's interesting is that his reaction in chapter 13 and his reaction in chapter 18 are a little bit different. If you were to go back and look at 13, you'll see that he simply says, we, have, uh, we had to speak the word of God to you first. And since you reject it and do not consider yourselves worthy of eternal life, we now turn to the Gentiles. 
That's a very different tone than your blood be on your own heads, right? There's a, a different kind of thing happening here. And it makes me wonder if at this point in Paul's ministry, if all this rejection and abuse and persecution that he's been experiencing, it makes me wonder if it's starting to wear on him. It's starting to wear him down. It says Paul shook out his clothes in protest. And this is meaning that he's so offended by what's happening in the synagogue that he wants to leave everything about it behind. Everything from the people down to the dirt that was collected on his clothes while he was there. He shakes out his clothes and he says, I'm done with you. He actually cries out, your blood be on your own head. I'm innocent of it, which is a quote from the prophet Ezekiel. And what Paul's basically saying is, I tried to help you. I came to help you, but you rejected me and your fate is now in your own hands, I'm done. It's not my fault. Whatever happens to you, I'm just done. And so Paul walks out, and he's irritated, and he's angry. And then strangely enough, he literally walks next door, which must have been a really weird situation, walks right next door into the house of a Gentile, and he finds a a much more open-minded audience. He finds great success. He preaches, and families come to faith. And and we even see that that the synagogue leader, Crispus, apparently went with Paul, and he, he comes to faith as well. It says, Paul left the synagogue, went next door to the house of Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. Crispus, the synagogue leader, and his entire household believed in the Lord. And many of the Corinthians who heard Paul believed and were baptized. Right? This all looks like very typical Paul, right? He's, he's bold, he's brave, he's unrelenting in his commitment. He's preaching in, in this house, brought many to faith in Christ. And again, Crispus, the synagogue leader, apparently was so compelled that he went with Paul next door. As we look through at chapters 9 to 17, this is all very business as usual, which is why all of a sudden verses eight, nine, or 9 and 10 are so surprising. Because one night, the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, Don't, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking and do not be silent. For I am with you and no one is going to attack or harm you because I have many people in this city. Afraid isn't a word that we often associate with the Apostle Paul. So far, we've seen him persevere after being mocked and beaten. We've seen him stoned near to death. And he's debated theology with his Jewish brothers and sisters. He's, he's clashed minds with some of the, the great Gentile philosophers. A few weeks ago, we read how he and Silas remained in a collapsed prison cell, waiting so that they could preach the gospel to the guard there. And so fear isn't something we normally think of when we think of Paul. So why is it that the Lord, that Jesus Christ, knows that in the middle of the night, he needs to come and comfort and encourage Paul? What is Paul afraid of, and why is he afraid of it? The answer to this first question, what is Paul afraid of, is right there in verse 9, but it's so shocking and so out of character that I think sometimes we miss it. We think that can't possibly it, and we keep moving on without really thinking about it. Because what it tells us is that Paul is afraid of continuing his ministry. Paul has a fear of continuing to speak out. He is afraid of preaching the gospel in this moment. His fear is not obvious, it's not evident as as he went about working about his day, but human beings tend to be really good at hiding our fears, aren't we? We don't want others to know when we are weak. We don't want anyone to see our vulnerability, to discover how close we are to our breaking points. But you can't hide your fears from the Lord. And what's more, this passage shows us that you don't need to hide your fears from the Lord. Jesus doesn't arrive in the middle of the night to rebuke Paul or to shame him for his feelings of fear. 
Don't be afraid is an invitation to rely on Jesus and draw near the one whose presence casts out fear. We'll come back to this point in just a little bit, but before we, we, we move on to this passage, I want to be sure that we see verse 9 with all its tenderness and all its comfort that Christ comes to bring. This, this voice that says, don't be afraid, this is the voice of an understanding friend. This is the voice of a compassionate creator. This is who Jesus was to Paul, and this is who Jesus is to us as well. So Paul is afraid of continuing to speak. He's afraid of continuing his his calling to preach the gospel. But why? Why is he afraid? What is it about his ministry? What is it about continuing in this calling that has caused him to need this, this comforting visit from the Lord in the middle of the night? I think as we see what's been at play in Paul's life so far, we see that Paul's fear was caused by the persistent hostility and the relational hardships that he'd experienced ever since committing his life to sharing the gospel. All right, Paul, Paul's fear is caused by the persistent hostility and the relational hardships that he's experienced ever since saying yes to Jesus and moving into ministry. Telling others what was true about Jesus may have allowed Paul to become part of some amazing things. It allowed him see, to see new people come to faith in Christ. It allowed him to become an amazing church planter and see churches spring up all over the Roman Empire. But at the same time, it's this ministry that led him to being arrested, and beaten, and forced time and time again out in the middle of the night. Rarely ever did Paul get the comfort of making one place his home for very long. In Acts 16, Paul was guided by the Holy Spirit and by a supernatural vision to enter Macedonia and to share the gospel in this region. The whole reason he's here in this moment is because he was told by Jesus to go. He must have been so excited as he sailed from Troas and Samothrace and Philippi, knowing that without a doubt, this journey he'd been set on was a mission from God. God totally, absolutely, literally told God, told Paul where to go. What an amazing thing he must have thought was waiting for him. So I wonder how fast that excitement turned into frustration and confusion and fear when he was repeatedly threatened to death, treated like an enemy, and plagued with persistent hostility on this mission that God had sent him on. Day after day of such dangers were wearing down on Paul. They were stirring up doubt, and they were stirring up fear. And I think in this moment, when Jesus comes to visit him, he's lying awake in the night in the city of Corinth, wondering, what am I doing here? Is sharing the gospel really supposed to be this hard? Am I even safe tonight, or are there people even now planning to come to my door and pound on it and drag me out of my bed once again? The persistent hostility of the world set against the will of God and set against the gospel of Jesus Christ, that hostility was getting to Paul just as it gets to all of us even today. It was breaking him down and causing fear to rule in his heart. Paul himself confesses this in a letter. He leaves Corinth after, after a while and then sends a letter back to the Corinthians in, in order to continue to encourage them and disciple them. And in that letter, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, he says, When I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. For I resolved to know nothing with you except for Jesus Christ and him crucified. I came to you in weakness with great fear and trembling. I came to you in weakness, with great fear and trembling. When Paul walked from that synagogue to the house next door, he did so on an empty tank. He was weak and fearful and trembling. 
The world had gotten to him, and he was close to his breaking point. So if you have ever been worn down like this, if you have ever been worn out by the world, when you face the struggle that, that, that sharing the gospel, that being a Christian, that sharing your faith, the toll that that causes you, I guess I have good news in that you and the Apostle Paul have something in common. Such struggles are not the mark of a bad, faithless Christian. They are sometimes just what happens when you proclaim the truth to a world that isn't ready for it, that can't understand it, that doesn't know how to process it without you coming again and again and again to introduce them to the truth. A second factor in Paul's being afraid was the relational hardship that he had suffered ever since becoming a Christian and sharing the gospel. Paul's decision to follow Jesus came at a great relational cost. His identity, his community, his family, they were all directly tied into him being a Hebrew, to him being a member of the nation of Israel. And Paul's faith in Christ ends up changing all of this. His people, his, his Jewish brothers and sisters, the people he cared about most in all of the world, many of them became alienated and then became hostile in light of his new life in Christ, in light of his decision to follow Jesus as Messiah. In city after city, in synagogue after synagogue, Paul's gospel message was rejected, and Paul himself was considered an enemy by the people he loved the most. In Acts 18, the weight of all that rejection and sorrow is, is weighing on Paul. It's getting to him. And I think it causes him to wonder, is speaking up really worth all of this pain? I'm sure many of you listening today can sympathize with Paul in these sorts of feelings and fears. You know that there is a chance that if you obey Christ and share the gospel, that you will meet with hostility. And and there will be relational hardships on the relationships that matter the most to you. Some of you have no doubt experienced these sort of wounds yourself. You've tried your hand at evangelism only to be met with, with anger and sharp words. You've shared your faith and and in turn been accused of being narrow-minded or perhaps even hateful. You may have decided that, perhaps when you decided to follow Jesus and you went and shared that news with your family, you were shocked that this news, which was such a joy to you, actually tore painful relational rifts between you and them. The ones you love the most now keep their distance. And the truth is that distance hurts a lot. Or maybe you're not yet a believer in Jesus, and this is the very reason why. You've heard things like this, you've read stories like this, you come and hear this, and you're like, I don't know if I want that. I don't know if I want to enter that world. I don't know if it's worth that much pain. I don't know if I can pay that cost. To all of those who sit up in the middle of the night, kept awake by anxiety and worries and the frightening possibilities of what it might mean to be a Christian who shares Christ with others, I pray that the promises of verses 9 and 10 are an encouragement to you just as they were to Paul. Because in 9 and 10, Jesus comes to Paul in the middle of the night and he says, on on the night where the Lord spoke to Paul in a vision, do not be afraid. Keep on speaking. Do not be silent. For I am with you. And no one is going to attack you or harm you because I have many people in this city. Do not be afraid is not a command telling Paul to just get over it and get back to work. This is an invitation to trust Jesus and trust the promises that he offers here, that he is with Paul and that he has a purpose for Paul. I am with you and I have a purpose for you. 
I am with you. The, the, the promise of the presence of Jesus is no, no small thing. In fact, the promise of, of Christ being with us, of being close to us, it is everything. All of our hope, all of our strength, all of our needs are sustained and satisfied by the knowledge of being close to Jesus, of being one with Christ, of abiding with our Lord and our Savior. Now for Paul, I'm sure this promise was powerful because it gave him the assurance that no matter what he'd suffer or would suffer, he was never, never going to be alone in that suffering. No matter how many people turned away from him or turned toward hate because of what he believed, he was never going to be wholly unloved. Whether preaching before hundreds or scratching out a letter to, to other Christians while chained in a prison, Paul could always return to this one promise, I am not alone because Jesus is with me. This is the same promise offered to you and to all who follow Christ. You are not alone because Jesus is with you. In every place, in every conversation, in every relationship, in every moment, every celebration, every struggle, every joy, and every heartache, Jesus is with you. His, his, he promises his presence. We have to trust this promise. Jesus is with you. He promises his presence. We must trust this promise. In the second half of verse 10, Jesus reminds Paul that all of these sacrifices are a part of something bigger than himself. He says, I have many people in this city. The kingdom of God was set to grow in Corinth. There was work to be done, and God was giving that work to Paul. That was part of his purpose. The gospel needed to be preached. Jesus was telling Paul that there are people who are going to come to faith in Christ because he was willing to go tell them about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection and the salvation in Christ. They were waiting for Paul. And at this time, that purpose came with this promise of reprieve from hostility and, and reprieve from the, the abuse that he'd experienced so far. This peace would not last. Paul would go on to once again being, being beaten and run out of town. And, and according to church tradition, Paul's life ends in beheading while going about the, the practice of his ministry. But in this moment, Jesus gave Paul the gifts of peace and rest while he remembered and took hold of his purpose to share the gospel and to make disciples of Jesus who love God, love one another, and love their neighbors. Everyone here shares in this same purpose. We may never travel the world as evangelists. We may never stand before thousands and preach. But I believe God has many people in this city, in Manhattan, in our neighbor neighborhoods, within all our relationships. And we too must share the gospel in the hope of making disciples of Jesus who love God, love one another, and love their neighbors. It's a mission that is simply stated, but profoundly life-changing. You have a God-given purpose. Each of you have a God-given purpose here and right now in this very place. So what will you do with that knowledge? How will you take up this purpose? How might your life be different if this week, if every day, every morning, you began by reminding yourself that Jesus is with you and that he has a purpose for you? If every day this week, the first thing you did was say, I know that Jesus is with me and I know that today he has a purpose for me, how might that change your understanding of what you do that day? How might that change your interactions with others?
If Jesus has a purpose for you, how does embracing this truth change your priorities, impact the way that you spend your time, encourage you to wonder about, encourage you when you wonder, is what I'm doing really, really worth it? Is what I do, does it matter? If Jesus has a purpose for you, then yes, yes it does. Jesus is with you. Jesus has a purpose for you. How will these truths, these gifts from God, transform who you are and what you choose to do this week? What did Paul do with this knowledge of Jesus' promises? Well, the, the final part of the, the, the verses say that he stuck around Corinth for a, a year and a half. He continued his calling, teaching and preaching and building the church. And eventually, trouble does come Paul's way again. Right? Some Jews kind of do an organized attack. They come against Paul. They drag him before the proconsul, kind of like the governor, the, the, the law keeper for the Roman officials in the area. And there's so much going on in these final verses. We don't have time to look at it all today, but I want to start at verse 13, 14 because something just absolutely amazing happens there. Again, in Acts 14, it says, Just as Paul was about to speak, Galileo said to them, if you Jews were making a complaint about some misdemeanor or serious crime, it would be reasonable for me to listen to you. But since it involves a question about words and names in your own law, settle the matter yourselves. I will not be the judge of such things. And he drove them off. What I love about this is it says, just as Paul was about to speak, Paul was about to say, here we go again. I've got to defend myself. I've got to step up. I've got to put myself back in this place of danger and risk and hardship. Just as Paul is about to speak, the Roman official of all people cuts him off. The Roman official steps in and defends Paul's time of peace and reprieve. Paul does not have to explain himself. He doesn't have to sit there and endure persecution or pack up and flee the city once again. Because just as Jesus had promised, just as Jesus had told him, no harm during this season was going to come to him. And I think it is because in this moment, Jesus is with him just as he promised he would be. He's proving it to Paul. I am with you always. Jesus is with you. He has a purpose for you. And I hope and I pray that you are encouraged by these truths this week and that you allow yourself to, to be shaped by them, to shape who you are and what you do, and most of all, to drive back your own fears. Because fear has no place in the life of one who is this close to Christ. As we turn our attention this morning to communion, um, at Faith, we celebrate communion uh, on the first Sunday of every month, and, we'll, and we do so here um, uh, publicly and, and collectively as a declaration of our need for Christ, as a, as a declaration of our need for that closeness with our Lord and, uh, and a remembrance of his, the salvation he offers. During this time, uh, we encourage you to consider and reflect on how the Lord may have spoken to you from his word or how he has been changing and transforming you through this last week. I will give you some time to do this in just a moment uh, as we prepare ourselves to, to, sit, to sit before Christ at his table. Anyone uh, at our church who has confessed Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is welcome to join us for the celebration of communion. In just a moment, we will all together uh, take up the bread, take up the cup, and, and, and after some words from Scripture, we will eat the bread. And then uh, after some, some more words from Scripture, we will, uh, we will drink the cup together as well. If you've joined us in person today, these little cups are outside the sanctuary. You're welcome to stand and, and go grab one now if, if you need to. If you're joining us online, we, we hope you've prepared something that will allow you to join us uh, in communion as well. If there's anyone here with us this morning that is not yet a believer in Christ, we are so thrilled and grateful that you would choose to make faith a place where you continue to learn more about God and, and, and Jesus and consider Christianity. During this time this morning, we simply ask that you reflect on what you've heard. Um, you may 
you maybe want to try praying or, or try speaking to the Lord. Um, but most of all, just, just, just be present and, and be with us in this time. And if you have any questions about anything you have heard, please, please reach out to me or to someone around you. Um, feel free to contact the church this week. We would love a chance to, to have a conversation with you about what it means to be a follower of Christ. As we prepare our hearts for communion, would you all please join me in prayer now? Holy Spirit, as we approach this celebration of communion, would you please bring to our minds a moment in which we heard your voice uh, truly and clearly this last week or even this morning. This time is yours to recall how God might be speaking to you now. God, we remember that you are kind and that you love to speak to us. We remember that you are patient and that you will continue to teach us. We remember that you are gracious and gentle and good. And we remember that you are with us and that you have a purpose for us. And for all of this, Father God, we are thankful. And in Christ's name we pray these things. Amen. The Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed, gathered with his disciples, and then he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took a cup, and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. And do this as often as you drink of it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and you drink from this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. May God the Father and Christ the Son and the Holy Spirit all attend to the prayers and concerns, the confessions and celebrations, and even the desperations that were offered in prayer from the hearts of those gathered here today. Let us go from this place with gladness in our hearts, encouraged by your word and your truth, and most of all, Father, your grace. There is no end to the thanks that we could give you for all you have done for us. And we praise you, God, for the fact that you love us, that you have a purpose for us, and that you guide us each and every day. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.
before we leave here today, um, I do just want to remind you, if you are joining us for the first time today, immediately after this service, uh, the benediction, we would love to meet you. And so head outside the doors, take a left in the commons area. One of our pastors, one of our elders would love to meet you, answer any questions that you might have about our church. And so just know that you're welcome to do that. Please take advantage of that right after the benediction today. And so as an act of worship, there's going to be a prayer on the screen, and uh, let's pray this for our lives, for our church uh, today as an act of worship. Lord, make me an instrument of your peace. Where there is hatred, let me sow love. Where there is injury, pardon. Where there is doubt, faith. Where there is despair, hope. Where there is darkness, light where there is sadness, joy. O gracious King, grant that I may not so much seek to be consoled as to console, to be understood as to understand, to be loved as to love. For it is in giving that we receive. It is in pardoning that we are pardoned. It is in dying that we are born again to eternal life. Now may the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you in the wilderness and protect you in the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown